Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. I don't know about you, but at the present time it seems that almost every day there's some new announcement speaking about the winding up or the winding down, I don't know how you would describe it, of lockdown. After weeks when not really much changed and we simply had daily death tolls and the consequences of the virus beginning to spread through the country, we're now certainly in a position, very thankfully so, where it seems in Scotland anyway, that the R rate is gone down and the opportunities for things to begin to open up um, are happening. And so day by day we're getting fresh announcements. As somebody who's keen to see if he can rebook his holiday that he and his wife Elizabeth were hoping to have, we should have been in Italy at the present time, that we can rebook it for September, we're certainly watching and following the news to see what the latest day will bring as to when, if it's possible for us to get away on holiday. Days can bring big changes, I'm sure we can all witness to that. Um, we have days that of course are planned and, and purposed and we have our birthdays or wedding days or, or, or other events when specific things happen and we know that there's going to be a change in our lives. There's also other days that happen which are surprises to us, perhaps nice surprises, good surprises. We get told of a promotion at work or, or an announcement is made of a, a baby that's going to be due or, or, or perhaps we're, we're proposed to or we, we propose to someone or we're engaged or whatever. And of course, there can be days which aren't so positive, and we all know of those days, sudden loss, sudden death, sudden upset in our plans. I wondered what Peter and John thought about on that day when we're told they went out as seemed to be their practice in the early days of the church. Um, one day we're told in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were going up to the temple. It probably started just like any other day, or at least any other day since Pentecost. They were going to the temple, they were going to worship, they were going to pray. It was one day. And yet, as we are, and as we will be over these weeks, read, reading chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Acts, it was a very special day. In fact, some people have described it as even more significant than the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came upon the believers. In a sense, this day, in Acts 3, and indeed the days that followed, are the outworking of what happened on the day of Pentecost. So let's hear what happened on this ordinary day, but in, of course, as we read, we'll discover it was an extraordinary day, a day of great change, a day of great great beginnings, a day of great initiative in the life of the church. Let's read together from Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, 
fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all now see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I said in my introduction, some days can start off perhaps quite ordinary, but some announcement, some event takes place and they become extraordinary. That's exactly what happened here, this one day. For the beggar, who went as was his normal practice to the temple courts to beg, that day started off very ordinary, but of course ended with him, we're told, he was walking and jumping and praising God. A beautiful thing had taken place at that beautiful gate, as we saw last Sunday. The one who is the beautiful one, the one that the Song of Psalms speaks about as the lover of our souls, his name, Peter and John make clear, it's his name that made a tremendous change. Look at what they say in verse 12. When they speak to the crowd, Peter says to the crowd gathered, watching and amazed at all they had seen, he says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by your own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 16, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. What made that day extraordinary? What announcement, what event took place that day that changed circumstances and indeed really began the whole growth of the early church? Well, it was the introduction the announcement, the glorifying, the making known of the name of Jesus. Now, of course, we know that when they speak about the name, they don't just mean some a noun, a, a word. 
What they mean is what's contained within the name. In the ancient world, a name carried great significance. And perhaps even nowadays, we might name a child um, or some other thing with a name that carries significance and meaning and, and importance to us. We want to, in a sense, make a statement sometimes by naming a child or naming something with a specific title. That carries with it great weight. Well, of course, the name of God in the Old Testament days, it was holy. I am who I am, as God announced and proclaimed and revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. And that name of God, that sacred and holy name, carried with it not only a title, but a content. It carried with it the, the, the significance of power, of authority, of, of a God who interacts, a God who engages, a God who makes a covenant and promise with people. And so Peter and John went to make, want to make clear that what took place in that temple courts wasn't something that came from themselves. It wasn't their own resources. Uh, Peter and John look at the man who was um, crippled, and Peter says to him in verse 4, look at us. And, and the man does. And he goes on to say, Peter, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he says to the crowd, why do you stare at us if by our own power or godless we made this man walk? Peter and John wanted to make clear at the very beginning of their apostolic ministry that it wasn't them that carried any special potion or power or authority. It was Jesus. And indeed he says that through what has happened, God has glorified his servant Jesus. Verse 13. Now, that might seem, again, quite obvious. This whole story, as we read it, might seem quite obvious. We read names, we read titles, we read significance, and we just read it through as if it's just, just common use. But it's not. It's in vital use. It's vital significance. The name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, is the one who has authority and power, as Jesus himself said at the end of his earthly ministry as he commissioned the disciples to go and preach the gospel. All authority and power, Jesus said, has been given unto me. Go ye therefore. That's important to remember in these days. There are, of course, people who appear on television every day to make announcements about changes. There are people who hold positions of authority and power, not only within our own country, but within the wider world. Many of these people, thankfully, in our own country are people of good intent and, 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 good, and have good desires and want to see things get on. There's other people in the world who hold title authority and they're not of good intent. And there's people, as we saw a few weeks ago, used and influenced by the powers of darkness that go about and have influence and have authority and whose intent is godlessness and anti-Christian. Peter and John were God's men. They were the apostles. Peter had been told by Jesus that it was upon him that he would build his church. And what he meant by that, Jesus, what Jesus meant by that was that what Peter and John and the early apostles were saying and going to be recorded for us in the book of Acts were to be the foundational principles for the church. And so the foundational principle is that Jesus is the one we honour. Jesus is the one we glorify. Jesus is the one in whom and through whom the reality of God is made known. The man walked and jumped and praised God because he'd been healed by Jesus. And in our ministry today, in the life of the church today, in all the challenges we face in our society today, it is Jesus that has to be at the centre of what we say and what we do and what we proclaim. Not the institution, 
not the ritual of religion, nothing else. There is no other name. Peter goes on to say, we'll make reference to this next Sunday, there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved apart from the name of Jesus. And look how he opens up, in a sense, and, and helps us understand the significance of that name. He speaks about you disown, verse 14. Peter says in verse 14 of chapter 3, you disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You kill the author of life. And he speaks about his servant. You, God has glorified his servant Jesus. And then later on, he says that the time had come, verse 20, that he may send the Messiah who has been pointed for you, even Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Well, he's more than a good man. He's more than even a prophet. He's more than a wise teacher or a philosopher of religion. Far more than that. Yes, many of these things describe part of who he is. But Peter makes it clear that he is the holy and righteous one. He draws there from the Old Testament. The holy one is the title, one of the titles given to describe God. The righteous one, Isaiah 53 and verse 11. The, 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 the great passage in the book of the prophet Isaiah, but the suffering servant speaks about my righteous one who will suffer, but whose suffering will bring great life and hope to many. He talks about how the prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah, this anointed one of God. And he connects that, Peter connects that very much with Jesus. He quotes from Moses, from the lawgiver, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And that is meant to help us remember when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain transfiguration. Peter and John were there along with some two other disciples and they heard God speaking about his son. And what does God say? Listen to him. All of that and so much more is meant to remind us of the significance of Jesus Christ. Peter says, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And he goes on to say that in Jesus and through what Jesus has done, the promise given to Abraham is being fulfilled. And you are heirs of the prophets of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring and all peoples on earth will be blessed. And so in Jesus Christ, we have the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of the promises of God, God's covenant promises given to Abraham, fulfilled through the prophets, through the lawgiver Moses, seen in the life and testimony of David. It's by no chance, for instance, that in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter quotes from David and uses the testimony of David and the Psalms as a pointer towards the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can I read to you from Acts chapter 2? Peter quotes David and speaking about the resurrection and about how God has set his son, verse 24, set his son free from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And he goes on to say, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. 
but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. And so in that sermon, both in the day of Pentecost and now in front of these crowds, stirred by the beautiful thing that God had done on that one day, Peter makes clear and affirms clearly and pointedly that Jesus is the one. That is, to many people in our society, the offensive. One of the men in the church I was speaking with just the other day who had come in to spend a quiet time in the church and afterwards outside in the fresh air we were talking. And the fellow said to me and reminded me that much of what I say on a Sunday or what anybody who's preaching in the church says, much of what we sing about on a Sunday, much of what we allude to when we're talking in our hymns, when we're using our hymns or our songs, or what Karn or others may share with the young people, much of that actually in contemporary society is offensive. To say that Jesus is the only way, to say that there's no other name under heaven by which people might be saved, to say that all the promises of God are found in him and in him alone, that other faiths, other religions, other so-called prophets are not the way to God, but only Jesus. That is offensive, both to the humanist, to the secularist, and indeed to people of other faiths. And yet Peter makes it clear that it's in that name and only in that name that the reality of God can be met with and the grace of God can be experienced. And the consequence of that, as we move on, the consequence of that, of course, was this message. Look what Peter says, now verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Peter, that apostle of the church, perhaps didn't have any great training in how to win friends and influence people, but he certainly was true to the gospel. We know he didn't get great training about how to win friends and influence people in a human sense, in a, in a worldly sense, because he makes it very clear in his sermon that the responsibility for all that took place in Calvary lies with the very people he was speaking to. He wasn't trying to win them over by ingratiating himself, by sucking up to them, by making the message appear pleasing or more acceptable to them. Look at what he says earlier on. He says, verse 13, you handed God's servant over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you, making reference to Barabbas. You killed the author of life, but God raised him up from the dead. He makes it very clear that human responsibility has to be understood. The old Negro spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And the truth is, of course, we were all there. It was for our sins that Jesus hung and suffered and died. We all are party to the crowd that chanted for his death. We are all party to those who held back, and even though perhaps our consciences were troubled, refused to say anything or to speak up a defense of the Son of God. Our sins, all our sins, the prophet Isaiah makes it clear in that great passage of the suffering servant, were laid upon him. His chastisement alone makes us 
that's all of us, healed and the ability to be forgiven. And so human responsibility is made very clear here. Peter doesn't try to, to tone things down so that it's more acceptable. But he does that by telling people that it's only as we repent and turn to God that our sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's a word for us today. Peter, he's speaking to Jewish people. He's speaking, in a sense, to the Old Testament church. And before they go on to minister and reach out, as Jesus said they would, to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, renewal and revival and uh, repentance is called from God's people. That's why he says to them at the very end, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. We live in a day when the church too needs to repent. It needs to repent from its failure to emphasize the centrality of Jesus Christ. I know of situations, and I made reference to this in the past, where people training for the ministry, not in our denomination, thank God, but in another tradition, was told by the minister that was training them not to mention the name of Jesus in the prayer because it would be offensive to some people. How wrong, how diabolical such a statement, especially from somebody who claims to be a minister of God's word. That's an extreme example. But so often the church has toned down, so often the church has sought to ingratiate itself with the world and not been true to its calling to proclaim the name of Jesus. We need to repent from that. And perhaps some of God's judgments, which are being worked out in the world today, well, after all, judgment begins first and foremost with the household of God, with the church. The closing of our churches and all the circumstances surrounding this whole sad and challenging story is part of God's judgment on his church particularly in the West. We need to waken up, look at the promise, repent, and then as we turn to God, our sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come. As we draw to a close, I mentioned at the beginning that I'm falling in the newspapers as is Elizabeth when it might be possible for us to re-engage with our, our commitments we'd already made for a holiday, which was supposed to be now in June, and would allow us to go away, to have a time of holiday. Of course, some might say, well, you've been on holiday, practically on holiday for the last 12, 13, 14 weeks. Lockdown, I can assure you, is not a holiday. It's different, but it's not a holiday. We need, all of us need to sometimes have a break, to get away from the normal routines of the day, to be refreshed in mind and body and spirit. We all need that. We're built for that. Well, we need that first and foremost from God. The church needs to be refreshed. The church needs to be renewed. The church needs to be re-sanctified. Streams of living waters need to flow amongst his people as then it will flow out into the dry and spiritual land of our nation. But that begins and ends and is determined by a relationship with Jesus and by a commitment and love for our Lord. We'll see next week what the consequences of that when Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, where they made a bold statement of their faith and the challenge of that for our day. But as we draw to a close, let's remember there is no other name but the name of Jesus. He is the beautiful one. In him, all authority and power was given, and through him, our sins can be forgiven. The calling the challenge is to repent. He is the author of life. He is the holy and righteous one. He is the prophet, priest, and king. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament pointed towards, and he is alone, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one 
comes to the Father but by me. Peter and John, we're told, were witnesses of these things. John, at the beginning of his letter, and First John makes that very clear himself. They were eyewitnesses, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. They testified, Peter and John, to what they had seen and heard, and they proclaimed not just to the folk gathered in Solomon's colony those, that day, but to us today, this day, that eternal life is found in Jesus. Maybe that you're listening to this and you know plenty about religion. You know plenty about Christianity. You could, you could write a story in a sense about your knowledge, but you don't know him in whom there is life and life in all its abundance. Whoever you are, however you're listening to it, however much your connection is with the church or not, in one sense that's neither here nor there. Let this day be a day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation, Paul proclaims. And that salvation is found in no one else but in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we do thank you for Peter and for John of how that ordinary day was transformed because of the Lord Jesus. For that man whose life was transformed, walking and jumping and praising God, although he'd no doubt started that day thinking it would just be any other day, looking for money. But actually at the end he found life in all its fullness. We thank you for the witness of Peter and John to that apostolic faith that there is no other name under heaven by which we might be saved, that he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets, that Jesus is indeed the beautiful one, the lover of our soul, the one who loved his church and gave his life for it. And we do pray, O Holy Spirit, that as you take from Jesus and make him known to us, that we will indeed grow in our love for him. Convict us of our need of a saviour, convince us of who that saviour is and draw us in faith and in trust into the one who alone is the saviour of life, the bringer of life, the author of life, even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.